Welcome to day 18 of The Story That Changes Everything. Our readings for today open up the amazing book of Exodus, a book that in so many ways sets the framework for how the Bible imagines the salvation of God. Our texts for today are Exodus chapters 1 through 3 and Psalm 8. Here are some thoughts to guide your reading for today. The book of Exodus opens with a brief genealogy of the tribes of Israel, thus connecting the ongoing Exodus story with the one we just left behind in Genesis. The number 70 appears again, highlighting that the complete people of God are in Egypt. No one was left behind in Canaan. However, now time has passed. All the original sons and daughters of Jacob have died, including Joseph. Nevertheless, God has been faithful in creational ways by helping these people be fruitful and multiply They just keep growing and expanding as a nation. Verse 8 articulates the problem and the tension. A new pharaoh has come into power who has forgotten Joseph's work and the way that Joseph blessed Egypt and thus begins to neglect the obligations due to Joseph's family line. This new pharaoh is driven by the fear of this ever-expanding people that he needs economically but he doesn't really want to be a threat nor want to be part of his people. Pharaoh tries to slow down their growth by first giving them hard labor and then secondly forcing them to build large cities, urban centers, that will be part of the source of their oppression. Despite their increased oppression, they thrive even more. In fact, the text reminds me of the early church father Tertullian's comment about The church during persecution, Tertullian says, the blood of the martyrs is seed for the church. And in this case, the oppression of Egypt becomes the source for them to become even more populous. The first chapter introduces us to two of my favorite characters in the entire story, the Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Pua. Pay close attention to the fact that throughout this book, we will never be told the name of Pharaoh, yet we're barely into the story and we know the names of these two women who are somewhat obscure to history, but apparently well-known to God. Pharaoh wants them, and likely the other midwives that serve with them, to immediately kill any male Hebrew babies they deliver. Perhaps he hopes that he can make it appear that a whole series of stillbirths take place, and that will not expose his ruthlessness. Shifra and Pua embody all the saints across history who have feared God rather than human rulers, and risked their own well-being for the sake of doing what is right. They make up a humorous story about the speed and power with which Hebrew women give birth, and so Pharaoh gives up on them and moves on to another plan. Pharaoh ups the ante and calls all the people of Egypt to throw any of the young male Hebrews into the Nile River. As will be signaled later in the story when the water is turned to blood, the primary source of life for Egypt, the Nile, in this case, is now turned into the center for creating death. In the midst of this attempted genocide, Exodus chapter 2 opens with an unnamed, at least at this point in the story, Levite man and woman giving birth to a son who they sense is destined for something unique and special. The mother then crafts for him a basket. The actual Hebrew word is the same as the word for ark used in the Noah story. So she sets her son in this small ark for protection and places him in the reeds near the bank of the river, likely knowing that it was a location for bathing and hoping for the exact results that take place. Pharaoh's daughter comes to bathe and discovers the child 
and decides to protect him and care for him. His sister is watching and so sets up a nursing relationship with the child's mother. This child will be raised with the privileges of Pharaoh's house, but he will be nursed and nurtured into his Hebrew identity. The child is given the name Moses, meaning drawn out. Perhaps this name is meant to be ironic, since this one who is drawn out of the Nile will also be destined to draw out his people from bondage. On a side note, notice in the text that Pharaoh is fearful of the Hebrew men and thus tries to have all the little boys killed. However, it's a whole series of women, Shifra and Pua, Moses' mother and sister, and even his very own daughter, who will actually be the subversive source of Pharaoh's undoing. The text takes another fast forward in time. Now Moses is a young adult, and he witnesses one of his Hebrew kin being misused. Moses must be an Enneagram 8 because he can't stand injustice. He kills the Egyptian who was beating the Hebrew slave and buries him in the sand. However, the act does not stay hidden in the desert sand, and so Moses must flee to Midian. Like his ancestors, Isaac and Jacob, he seems to have a great deal of luck meeting eligible ladies at the well. His keen sense of justice kicks in again. He rescues these women, gets invited to the house of Reuel, ends up with a wife, Zipporah, and a son, Gershon, because Moses is a stranger in a strange land. Time in the text keeps speeding by. Years of oppression continue in Egypt. Cries from the people go up to God. God sees, God hears, and God is deeply concerned. Chapter 3 gets the main action started with the first of several theophanies or appearances by God to Moses. Famously, Moses encounters a bush or a small tree that's on fire, but it's not being consumed. On a side note, several early church writers saw in this miraculous sign a kind of foreshadowing of the Incarnation. They saw this unconsumed vessel of revelation as somewhat akin to the Virgin Mary, who would be empowered by the fire of the Holy Spirit, if you will, to bring about the revelation of God into the world without herself being overwhelmed or unnecessarily changed in the process. God invites his favorite advocate for justice to become God's primary means for bringing justice on a large scale to his Hebrew people crying out in their oppression. Of course, Moses has a few objections, two which are articulated in this chapter. The first is Moses' question, who am I? Perhaps given his past and his decades now living in obscurity, he views himself as the least qualified for this massive task. God's response is that God will be with him. What a promise. The second objection relates to God's identity in a world full of gods. When the people ask Moses which God has sent him, What name should he use? It's here that we get that amazing sacred name for God, the I am. Now, the four consonants in Hebrew used in the word I am are equivalent to the English letters Y-H-W-H, usually pronounced in English as Yahweh. This name was considered so holy by the Israelites that they would only pronounce it one day a year on the Day of Atonement. The rest of the time, they would exchange this name for the word Adonai, meaning Lord. That's the reason when the word shows up in your English translation, it's written as Lord in all capital letters. Now later, the Masoretes, um, scribes between the year 500 and 1000 AD, they added vowels into the Hebrew text. 
they would take the three vowels from Adonai and then add them to these four Hebrew consonants in the word Yahweh, and they would get in English what we now pronounce as Jehovah. After giving Moses his name, the great I Am, then gives to Moses a preview of what is to come in this great conflict that's going to happen with Pharaoh and the Egyptians. God promises Moses that his people will not just be released from bondage, but also on the way out of slavery, they will get to plunder the Egyptians. They won't just get their freedom, they will also get reparations for the wealth they created but did not receive. Buckle up. This story is going to get good. The psalm for today, Psalm 8, opens with the beautiful line of praise, Lord, our Lord, Yahweh, our Adonai, how majestic is your name throughout the earth. At the center of the hymn is this great query, when I look up at your skies, at what your fingers made, the moon and the stars that you set firmly in place, what are human beings that you think about them? What are human beings that you pay attention to them? Whatever else we take from these great opening chapters of Exodus today, we are reminded that the one who created the universe is attentive to and cares about the cries of all those in our world who are suffering and are oppressed. And that God invites not just Enneagram 8s, but all of his people to hear them and to share in God's work of deliverance. Yahweh our Adonai, how majestic is your name throughout the earth. Soak up these great texts today. Read them carefully, looking for things you've never seen before. Listen to what the Spirit might say to you through the Scripture today. Journal some of your reflections, questions, and prayers. And know that God sees you, but also calls you today. We keep the story going tomorrow with readings from Exodus chapters 4 through 6. I'll talk to you tomorrow.